our place. I will thank you for joining us today. Thanks for singing along with us and uh, braving some of the rain that you had to get through to be here. We appreciate that. It's great to be able to sing along together with you, and it is great to be able to learn along together with you as well. My name's Corey, if we haven't met, and I have the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at GFC. And if you're joining us for the first time or engaging with us for the first time uh, online, you're watching at home or you're listening uh, later through the podcast, uh, we've been in the midst of a series called What If the Church Looked More Like Jesus? And what we've been doing is kind of reflecting on whether we actually live our lives as church members and whether our life as a church as a whole, like as a body of believers, actually reflects who Jesus was. And we've asked that question a little bit because of some of the tension that maybe we've felt between church and culture. So one of the questions we've asked very simply every week is, what tension do you feel between church and culture? And again, I've said this before, like, uh, if, unless you live under a rock, you've probably felt some of that tension, right? And some of us feel it in different ways, and it's been different over the last few years than it has been maybe in the past, maybe as you were growing up like me. And some of the tension used to simply be that most followers of Jesus uh, looked at certain things and said that the tension there is that this is a sin and this isn't. Um, I've said a few times before, if you've been around, that my best friend growing up went to a Lutheran church. I went to a Baptist church. We went to two very very different church contexts, but even though we did church differently, much of the tensions that we felt between culture was still the same, because we would just look at, you know, what other people were doing, and we would go, yeah, we stay away from that, because that's not what Jesus called us to. And yet now what has happened is some of that tension with uh, different social issues or different movements, we had to kind of find ourselves on a scale, and, and not every church is finding themselves in the same spot. Some churches would be on this side. Some churches would be on that side. Some churches have changed or uh, done things completely differently because of the tension they feel in culture. And so what do we do with that? How do we navigate that? Sometimes it should be there. Like we should look different than the culture. But sometimes, is it there unnecessarily, and what can we do to help that? And so today the question in week five, the final question uh, of this series is, how do we move forward? What do we need to do in order to make sure that as we go forward as a church and as individuals, we actually do reflect Jesus well to other people, and we don't necessarily, I should say this, not unnecessarily contribute to some of the tension that's there? Like I said, I've said this over and over again every week, right? We are not saying to excuse sin. We're not saying to accept things that are false. We're not saying to go and water down our theology. But the way that we interact with people that are different than us matters. And the way that we see Jesus or we saw Jesus interact with people that were different than him matters greatly. And so where I want to go today is I want to start with this idea. Without the proper foundation, anything will fail. Without the proper foundation, anything will fail. You know this is true at your house right? You don't have a good foundation, it's going to fail. You know this is true in your relationships. You don't have a good foundation for your relationship, it's going to fail. You know this for your business. If your business isn't built on the right ideals and the right infrastructure, it will fail. All of the things that we understand as uh, systems, organi organisms, organizations, all of those things, you have to have the right foundation or it will fail. And the same is true of our faith journey. If our faith is not built on the right foundation, it will fail. And I, I got into this idea in week one. I talked a little bit about the word deconstruction. 
And I, I talked about what that is and what that looks like. And there's, that's a whole movement that's happening within Christian culture, within uh, the culture in general for people that used to be Christians, grew up in church, were pastors, were elders, were Bible teachers. And then they've moved to a place where they say, I used to believe that. I don't believe it anymore. And they even like teach against it now. The word that's actually used sometimes is exvangelical instead of evangelical. And so where does that come from? And why has that all of a sudden become something that has been so relevant and going on in our culture? And part of it, I would say, and we're going to look into this in a little bit, is that their foundation wasn't built on the right things. And so when their foundation as a kid who was handed a version of Jesus or, or was taught something about Scripture or was taught something about Christianity, when they were handed something that was not built well, it didn't last until later in life. Just like if your home or a building was not built on a strong foundation, it doesn't last as long. And so what does that look like and how do we influence that? And one of the things that we say here at GFC is that we exist to establish every person on the foundation of Jesus. So this conversation today, this conversation about what we're talking about in culture, this conversation, what we're talking about from Scripture, this is where all of that comes from. And this is, this is a conversation today, whether you're here in the room or you're online watching. Like, this is an important conversation for our church and what's going, where we're going and what we do. So if you're finding us for the first time, you're engaging for the first time, you've been checking us out, this is going to get to the heart of where we're going to go. And if you've been around for a long time, this is a peek into like what our passion is and, and where we're going to go and how we're going to process some of what we're seeing uh, in, our, in Christianity, in our culture, and how we plan to move forward as a church. So today's conversation is super, super important for us. So where we're going to go for scripture today is we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you can, if you have your physical Bible, you can open that. You can always take your phone. You can always uh, also scan a little QR code on the back of our Next Steps card. That'll take you to our follow-along tab, so you can get all the notes, all the verses uh, right there. Of course, they'll be up on the screen for you. You can also, if you use the Next Steps card, you go to the follow-along. You can ask a question or submit a prayer request as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. It's a very important verse. This is Paul talking. Okay, He's talking to the Corinthians. Paul was one of the major players, right? if you know church history, in starting the church. It was Paul and others and the disciples, right? They launched the church after Jesus died, rose again, he ascends. They launched themselves into this project called the church. And they spread out and they do all the missionary journeys and they plant churches in a bunch of different locations. And so Paul says, because of his grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. I've done my work. And, and Paul was an expert. Like Paul, even more so than the disciples, knew all of the Old Testament teaching as well. So he gets all of the Old Testament information, and then he gets launched into the mission of Jesus, and he gets to take all of that with him and start to build the church. And he says this right now, others are building on it. He says, what I started, others are now building. Guess what? We're part of that process. The church was launched 2,000 years ago. It has built and built and built and built, and we are continuing that process now. So every church that exists and calls themselves followers of Jesus are part of this process. They are building on it. But he says this, right? He gives a warning. He says, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. He says, what you build on the foundation that 
God used Paul and others to establish. He says, this is super important. And he goes on to explain why. In, in verse 11, he says, For no one can lay the fa- any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. This is where our purpose comes from. We establish every person on the foundation of Jesus. That's why. Because Paul clearly in 1 Corinthians 3 says, This is the foundation you are to build on. And this automatically brings us to some of that cultural tension. And the reason it brings us to that cultural tension is for this reason. Because Christianity makes a bold claim. And this is the bold claim of Christianity. A life built on anything other than Jesus will fail. That's what we say as Christians. We look at other people and we say, if you don't build your life on the foundation of Jesus, then it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to be worth anything. And people would argue back, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're in the room or you're listening, I get it, right? You would argue back and say, well, I, you know, this is where I feel like defines me or this is where I feel like I could go. But we would make the argument that what matters is not just necessarily what happens here on earth, right? We look and say we believe that Jesus taught us that there's something else beyond this and we're aiming for that. And so that's why he's our foundation because it's not just going to do us justice here. It's going to do something for us eternally that's going to matter great, more greatly than what we see here. And so we make this claim. And this is where the tension happens because when, you, when we make that claim, it's exclusive. It, it excludes the things that other people would build their life on if they don't know Jesus. And so this creates tension, but here's, here's how I would want us to look at this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're in the room or you're listening along, here's what I would say. And I think this is true for anyone, not just followers of Jesus. That there's two different ways we can define how a successful life looks. So how do we define a successful life? Here's option A. Option A is I define my own path and quantify my own success. Most people, I think, this is the way that they would quantify whether they have a successful life or not. They look at their life, they say, these are the goals I have, this is what I want to do, this is who I want to be, and if I get to the end, and I did those things, then I was successful, right? Typical things, I want to be able to establish my career, or build a family, or own a home, or maybe you've got something else out there, like you want the, the, uh, you know, the dream house somewhere on a beach, or up in a mountain, right? There's, there's things we aim for, and we go, okay, if I got there, and, and the people know I love them, I'm good, like I, I was successful, and who gets to define that? Well, well you do. But here's the opposite side, and and option B, and this is what we would say as followers of Jesus, that I would fulfill the purpose my creator has given to me. And the, the big difference there is, right, I don't get to define what my purpose is. God does. The creator of me gets to define what my purpose is. I don't get to be the one who says that. And someone that doesn't follow Jesus might look and say, well, I get to, I would say that I would tell you what my purpose is, or I would see what my purpose is, or I get to, I get to discover what my purpose is. And I would still say, well, that comes back to option A, right? That, that in your experience, you get to define it. So that's the two different ways that we understand this. And again, this is the tension, right? Because followers of Jesus, we're supposed to fall into option B. Too many times, and this is where some of the tension comes on how we move forward, we, we kind of bleed into option A. And we even start to look at Christianity or we look at the church and the function of the church and we say we want to be able to quantify and define what success is. And we don't simply take the foundation of Jesus as what our goal is to fulfill his purpose. And so what we've done at times is we've done a little bit of a poor job of handing a purpose down 
to other people, whether it's our kids or people we're handing Jesus to. And what happens is if we don't know, or sorry, we don't understand our purpose, we will default to our own desires. If we don't understand what our purpose is in life, we will default to our own desires. And so when we don't hand down or we don't, we don't express or we don't reflect what the purpose is for someone's life to understand the creator and what he gave them purpose to do, the natural result is to default to our desires. And again, this has happened in the church. Now, I get that I'm like way up here right now, okay? I'm going to break it down as we go. And as we walk through the passage, I think it's going to become a little more clear. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, As anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Verses 14 and 15. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's a heavy couple of verses, right? Very prophetic. Paul says, we, we can build on the foundation, right? He just said, I established it, other people are building, but you better be careful. He names these things that you can build with. You notice the first three were much more strong, right? Gold, silver, jewels, very strong, hard materials compared to the other three, wood, hay, and straw. And he says, it, when the fire comes on judgment day, some of those things are going to be burned up. Some of those things are going to be burned away. He says, the result, whoever built those things into someone else, whoever built on that foundation, if what you built on that person, or if the way that you helped to establish them in their faith, if that survives, it's a reward to you. But he says, if it doesn't survive, you suffer great loss. And this is a very interesting qualifier. He says, the person will still be saved. The builder will still be saved. That means that this person was a follower of Jesus. They just got mixed up and started building in the wrong stuff. So the person, it's not just like they messed up and they weren't a follower of Jesus and we disqualify them and they were, they're a follower of Jesus. They're going to be in heaven, but that means that we can get on a path where we start to establish people in faith that's the wrong stuff. And we'll still enter the kingdom, but someone else may not because we didn't build the right stuff. This is heavy. This is the stuff. He says, You're, we're involved in this, right? This is what the church does. We establish people on faith, and we need to build with the right things. The way that I would say it is this, that the foundation of someone's faith will determine the future of their faith. If we build with the right stuff, it's going to last. If we don't build with the right stuff, it's not going to last. And this is the heavy one, okay? This is one I want to like key in on for a minute. Your faith is the architect for the faith of others. This is especially true of parents. What your kids, what my kids see in, in my faith journey is going to help to build and be the architect for what their faith journey is. And in fact, studies have been done. If you look at generations and you go, okay, this generation of parents, just, you know, in one family, they went to church every Sunday. And then the next generation down, if they decided they were going to go to church every, like, two out of four Sundays, 
it's usual that the next generation would say, I'm going to go maybe once a month, and then the next generation goes, I'm just going to go like maybe once or twice a year. Like you can watch that progression happen. Why? Because the kids looked up and saw what was important to mom and dad and said, that's what I was modeled. That's what I was given. This is the same anyway. Like I've talked before at different times. Like you, as you become a parent, you hear your parents coming out in you, right? And it's terrifying because you go, why did I say that? Oh, I've heard that a hundred times, right? Like uh, what our parents give us is built into us. And that's true from grandparents. And one of the things that we actually don't understand super well, but it's true and it's, it's like burned into us in our DNA, what we carry with us goes back generations and generations and generations. And we don't think about that so much like today. Like I don't really know who my great-great-great-grandparents were. I know who my great-great-grandparents were, but past that I really don't know. But their habits... Their things that they did, their things that they held as important, like that was handed down to me whether I know it or not. And the same is true in a faith journey. What we see, what, what people look up to us, and it's not just our kids. It's the people that we look at and we say, I want to share Jesus with you. Like if they become followers of Jesus, they look at our lives and say, what did it look like to be a follower of Jesus in that person's life? And your grandkids look at you and your, aunts, you know, your nieces and nephews and all that kind of things. Like they look at what we do and that builds their faith. And we go back to this verse and we go, if we build with the right stuff, their faith will last. If we build with the wrong stuff, it won't. There's a tension in that. There's a responsibility in that. To say that we're going to be responsible for the faith of somebody else, that's a big deal. And sometimes we don't always think that we are. But someone who is younger in the faith is always watching you and learning what you do. And it's going to architect, be the architect for who they are. It's very simply is this, right? If, if we build on the, sorry, if we build with the wrong materials using Jesus as the foundation, the entire faith structure will crumble. And here's what I've seen happen over and over again and it, in my own life, like knowing people and also just reading and interacting with, with people online, watching videos and different things of, of people that have been followers of Jesus, have been deep into it, have been just like you and me, have literally been pastors, right? For years and years, worship leaders, for years and years and years. And then they get to this place and they realize what they were handed was the wrong materials. But you know what they hardly ever say? Hardly ever is the phrase, I realized I just didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why I'm not a follower of Jesus anymore. The answer is, I saw that person not be the person I thought they were. The answer is, that person, I feel like they manipulated me. That person, I feel like they told me the wrong things on purpose. It's always about the people that we have. And what happens is when we don't reflect Jesus well, this is the point of this whole conversation, this whole series, right? When we don't reflect Jesus well to other people, it drives them away from Jesus, even though it's our fault. And so when we hand them the wrong materials, the wrong foundation, the entire structure will crumble and they will leave Jesus if we don't build into them the correct stuff. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3 again in verses 16 and 17. He says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? 
God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This is incredible. We talked about this a little bit last week as we talked about the body of believers and how we belong to one another. He goes back to this, right? He says, don't you realize, all of you together are temple of God. This is amazing. We get to be the temple of God, right? Temple of God, Old Testament was a place, right? Even in the beginning of the New Testament, it was a place and a thing. Christianity, like Jesus comes, dies, rises again, it changes. And all of a sudden, the temple is not a physical structure anymore where God resides. He resides in us. So wherever we go, whatever we do, we represent God's temple as we go there. He says, and the spirit of God lives in you. And he says this, this is important. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. That's a pretty big promise. That also tells me that if somebody comes and tries to destroy the church, I don't have to worry about it. God will take care of it, right? Our job is to keep being the church, to do what we're called to do. If someone comes and tries to destroy the church, God says, I'm up, right? I'll take care of that. Don't you worry about it. So he says, he'll destroy it, right? For God's temple is holy, and you're that temple. In verses 18 and 19, he says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. In verse 20, he says, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and he knows they are worthless. This took an interesting turn, right? Like, why does he go to this place, and why does he say things like, in order to be, you know, like, you need to, like, understand, kind of be a foolishness in order to be wise? That doesn't really make a ton of sense. I want to back up for a minute to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. So same book, same author, just a couple of chapters before. Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed to destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. This is that tension between that we talked about earlier between option A and option B. Option A, right, I get to decide and define my own success because I get to use my own wisdom to get there. That makes sense from a worldly perspective. It does. What doesn't make any sense in a worldly perspective is that there would be a God who would come and would die and would rise again just to pay for my bad stuff. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it, like, I can get logically there, but at the same time, when you really come down to it, like, we all kind of go, why would God do that? And we can't answer that question, except for the fact that he loves us, which again, then we go, why does he love us? And we go, we don't really understand why he loves us, right? There's kind of a foolishness there. We go, why is God doing this? Why, why, why? And we can answer it, but we can't really answer it. Does that make sense? Like, we get to that point of, like, why would a holy and all-powerful God love people who are sinful and deny him, even after, there's, after we decide to follow him, we still don't do it well. That doesn't make any sense. And there's this foolishness that happens. And we go, I can't quantify that, so I wanted to find my own success. But some of that foolishness, then what he talks about is you've got to be willing to kind of let yourself go over to this place where you just say, there has to be something else out there bigger than me. And I said a few weeks ago, I get to be responsible for a postage stamp size location in the universe, Right? And I still can't get that right all the time. So why do I look at God and go, I should tell you how to do things? (laughs) Like he's the one in charge of all of it. And so we look at this foolishness and we go, I'm going to allow myself. I'm going to turn my will, my desire over to God. Even when that doesn't always make sense to me from what I see and what I experience. Because I believe that he is a purpose greater than what I just desire for myself. 
And when I do that, it changes my perspective and it allows me not to build on someone's foundation, building that foundation on what I desire to see in them, but what God's purpose is in them. Because we don't always know what his desire is for other people at times. And so wisdom, this is a word, this is a mouthful, ready for this one? Wisdom that contradicts the wisdom of the creator is not wisdom at all. And, and we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. It's fun to like point this out to other people and go like, hey, you, you don't get this, right? You, this is what you need to do. Like we need to remind ourselves of this. Like when we, when we bleed into option A and we start going, I want to define or like, I really like this about Jesus, but this is difficult and I don't want to do it. Or like, Jesus must not mean that I have to do this, right? Like that's where I get to start define. I start to define what's right for me, what's wrong for me. And, and wisdom that comes from my brain or my mouth or my heart that contradicts what the creator says is not wisdom at all. And we have to stay in this lane of continuing to build the foundation that Jesus has given us, given us so that it will last. And back to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 to 23 say, So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Again, interesting verse. What does this mean? What does it mean that everything belongs to you? Now, he says this about not following a particular human leader because some of the, there was some arguments going on in the early church about who was right and who was wrong, like whose style was right. We get this today, right? Different styles, different uh, denominations and different things and all different kinds of stuff. And, like, and he's like, that, that's all there. Like you can follow. And as long as they're a follower of Jesus, like follow them. He's like don't fight over them. But then he goes even deeper. He's like, all of these things are, are available to you. Like, this is still part of, you, of your life. What does that mean? I think this is the best way to say it. There's nothing worthwhile that is given up by following Jesus. First of all, if Jesus asks us to give it up, it's because we're fulfilling his purpose, and that's a better understanding of our life than, than what we thought. And we're not going to give up something that we get to heaven and go, man, my one regret is I didn't give up that thing. Or I did give up that thing. That's the way I should say it. We, we give that up. But, but honestly, when you start to follow Jesus, we give up that desire, that ability to just define our own success. But it doesn't mean that everything comes off the table. Like, we know this. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you still want to start your own business, start your own business. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to get married and have kids, get married and have kids. If you want to buy a house, buy a house. Like all of those things are still available. The lens becomes different. The foundation you build those things on becomes different. The way that you interact in those environments becomes different because you are a follower of Jesus. So we're not telling you to just exclude yourself from the world and give up all the things you've ever wanted. No, all of those things are still there. But... We see them through a different lens and we decide to follow Jesus and we build on a foundation that's going to last and not one that's going to be torn apart or burn away. And I know we talked about that. He talks about that from a, from a judgment day perspective. I believe it still happens today. Like when we, when we have that struggle, when our foundations come up against these difficulties in life, those things start to fall away. So the question is this, right? How do I build a faith that will last? How do I build a faith that will last 
in me because we have a responsibility for our own faith. And how do I build a faith that will last in others? When I hand that to my kids, my grandkids, my nieces and nephews, the kids downstairs in kids ministry, the preschoolers, the nursery kids, the person I sit next to at work, the person that's in my class, like all of those things. How do I hand them a faith? How do I look like Jesus as a member of the church? And I have four ways uh, that I want, I want us to process this and four things I think we can do. The first thing is this, is, is to find your anchor point. Now, let me explain this for a minute and help us understand what that is. Um, I almost brought my compound bow to church today, and I was like, that's a little too Lancaster County for me. I can't do that yet. But here's why, okay? I know in in shooting my bow and in uh, all the sports I've ever played, usually there's some sort of thing you have to do that builds the fundamentals of your game, okay? So I'll just give, like, I'll give baseball and basketball as examples, Okay. Baseball, you step into a batter's box. When I was a kid, the coaches always told me the same exact things, right? You start with your feet about shoulder length apart, you bend your knees a little bit, you put your hands like this on the bat, you put your back elbow up, and you step when you swing, right? That's what you teach every, uh, my two-year-old, like if he has a bat, that's what I'm trying to teach him already. It's a fundamental thing. Basketball, you want to shoot a free throw. Again, feet shoulder width apart, bend your knees, keep your elbow in, wave goodbye to the ball, watch the ball spin as it heads toward the hoop, right? These are fundamental things you have to come back to. And even the best athletes, when they get to a space where they're messing it up, they've spent years and years and years doing it their own way, and it gets off whack, they have to go back to the basics and start over from there. Because that's the best way for them to move forward. Some of you are still thinking about my compound bow. I was going to show you how, like, you put your, you put the kisser button here, and then you put your nose in, and you put your eye, and some of you are like, I'm out. Don't even talk about this. But if you look at the wrong way, like, I had this happen once with someone I was teaching to shoot, and you're supposed to have your right eye open, right? They kept missing, and I'm looking at them, I'm like, why are you, off? well, they had their right eye shut and their left eye open. So that put them off to start, right? If, if one thing is wrong, here's the whole point, right? If one of those things is wrong, in any one of those situations I just gave you, you're going to be off. You have to know how to do those things. Listen, we have to get back to what our fundamentals are, our anchor points of our faith, so that when life gets crazy, And we start to look at our relationship with Jesus and we start to look at our faith and we go, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to process this. What is going on? We have to have a square one to come back to and go, why do I even believe this in the first place? And that foundational piece is so, so very important. I'll give you my two. And and my challenge for you this week, by the way, is to figure out what your anchor point is. To, say, to come back and say, what is the thing that is never going to change in my mind that's why I follow Jesus? My, I have two. My first one is that I don't believe, I, I can't. I can't believe for a second that the universe exists as it does and we exist as we do and all of it works together perfectly without a creator. So even if they found the body of Jesus tomorrow and I had to walk away from Christianity... I would still be like, yeah, but someone made all this. Like, the, the chances of it happening by accident just don't, that, that just doesn't happen. So that's my first spot. My second spot is, I, I believe 100% historically that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And so when I come back to those two things, right, when life starts to happen, and I go, I don't understand, why is God doing this? Why is this this way? Why am I suffering this way? Why am I going through this? Why is that person doing this? Why did this happen? Why does this problem still exist? I look at all those things, and it's very easy to get the wheels turning and start to spin out and go, God doesn't know what he's doing. But 
when I come back to my anchor point, my two beliefs that I just shared with you, I go, yeah, but someone made all this. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know how to figure out the rest of it, but those two things don't change. So if those two things don't change, I got to start from there and, and move forward. And that anchor point, I taught my students this in apologetics, like that moment, those things that just you lock into the back of your brain, they're the fundamental things of your faith that are just not going to change. It's so, so very important. And when life starts to spin out and you can get back to those points, it's like a warm blanket. It's like coming home. It's like, okay, like, yeah, everything's good. Like I can, I can be there. I get this. So we need to find that anchor point, find that space so that we don't start to spin out and lose perspective. Here's the second thing. Uh, Burn away the bad materials and rebuild on the firm foundation. Chances are we were all handed a faith or a version of Jesus that included somebody else's materials that don't belong there because we're human. So am I going to hand a version, in all my best efforts, am I going to hand a version of Jesus maybe to my kids that includes some stuff that doesn't belong there? Probably, because I'm human and I'm imperfect. But at the same time, as we mature in our faith, we can look at what we were handed and say, these are the things that I want to get rid of. These are the things that don't belong. These are the things that somebody else gave to me that were their materials and not the foundation of Jesus. And we can rebuild those spaces. Like I remember, and I I don't want to like, again, bash the environment where I grew up, but I remember being very specific. Like, if you were on stage, you had to wear a tie. And if you didn't, someone was going to tell you to put one on. So in my experience as a young child, when I knew that, what was the way I processed that? Well, in order to honor Jesus, if I'm on stage, I have to wear a tie. Now, that's nowhere in Scripture, right? And clearly, I have gotten away from all of that. But you, but you get it. Like, as a kid, that was my thing. And if that never shifted in my brain, if I never understood that that's not actually the reality of how I honor Jesus, then that could lead to problems later in life. And that sounds trivial because of where we're sitting and how, how we are engaging right now. But that is a reality for some people, that they were so engaged with that idea that the way that they honored Jesus was outwardly the way they looked and what they did, that when they got to the point and they went, God cares so much about what I look like, they didn't, understand, they didn't realize that what God looks at is your heart. And so when they get later in life, they go, well, that doesn't make any sense. This God's ridiculous. Why would he care so much? And they walk away. And so we have to figure those things out. There's some things that we're going to have to burn away and we're going to have to rebuild. The third thing is this. Don't build on another foundation just because someone handed you the wrong materials. Another response to this, if you realize, like we just talked about it, another response to this, if somebody hands you the wrong stuff, is just to say, well, all of that is garbage, and I'm going to walk away and build on a different foundation. And I'm pleading with you, if you're in the room or you're listening or you're watching online and you're in, on the verge of like, I'm going to walk away from this, I'm, gonna de- like, I'm on this deconstruction journey, and I just want to walk away and build on something else. Don't just build on something else because someone handed you the wrong materials. Don't make a bad decision in your faith journey just because someone who was human led you a wrong direction. I said it before, I very rarely ever hear in in stories where people walk away that the reason they walk away is they were convinced Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. Very rarely does Jesus, the word Jesus, come out of somebody's mouth when they're talking about why they're walking away from faith. And if you are convinced 100% that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, 
then that's a space where you need to process that. And I get if you need to step away from Christianity for a while. But if that's not the reality, then Jesus can still rise again. And, and, and people that are human can hand you the wrong stuff. But don't walk away from Jesus because someone made a mistake in being the architect for your faith journey. And the reverse is true, right? We, we need to recognize and understand that that's what's at stake when we don't reflect Jesus well. Here's the fourth thing. The strategy is only as good as the people committed to it. The strategy of our church, or the, the purpose of our church, right? Establish people on the foundation of Jesus. That's the purpose. How we're going to get there is we're going to put a lot of worth on groups so we can be in community with one another. We're going to put a lot of emphasis in investing in children and students because we're handing faith to them and we want them to have the right foundation. We're going to engage our community through service and sacrifice because we want to reflect Jesus to them and we want to start building the right faith foundation in them by being people that are loving to them and caring to them. And we're going to, build, we're going to place a lot of time and effort on this worship experience because we want to be encouraging each other the right way. We want to be building each other up. Like this time frame matters, right? And so that's the strategy, but the strategy is only as good as the people committed to it. And if we're not people that are committed to it, the strategy will fail. We know this in every sector of life, right? If you have a business strategy, you can have the best business strategy out there, but you put the people in the room and they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. It's going to fail. So here's the challenge, right? I said before, I said a few times, your faith is the architect for somebody else. We have to be committed to that. And the number one way, you're going to think this is like a cop-out answer, but it's not. The number one way to be committed to that is to be present on Sunday mornings. If we're not here, engaging together on purpose, modeling this for the next generation, not just of children, but of people that are going to come behind us in the faith, if we're not committed to that, the strategy will fail. And I get it, right? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to tell you to be in church. And truthfully, right, do I feel better when there's more of you here when I'm up here? Yes. Like, it does. It just feels better. But I honestly ultimately believe that it's also one of the most important things we can do as followers of Jesus. And it's one of the most important things we can model to other people, including our children. And I get it. Life is busy. Life is crazy. And I'm not talking, again, I say this all the time, but I'm not talking about when you're sick, when you go on vacation, when you just had a crazy week and you're not feeling well. Like, oh, I get it. There are times when no one's taking attendance, going to come knocking on your door, pounding it down, like, where were you, right? That's not the point. But being committed to the strategy matters. And if we're going to do that well, we have to be here. We have to be invested in each other to make that a reality so that the people that are watching us see the right stuff built. Here's the last thing I'll say. And then we'll move on. We'll sing a song and we'll be done. If the church looked more like Jesus, here's what I believe that would look like. We would ruthlessly eliminate anything not worthy of being connected to the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. I might ruffle some feathers, okay? So if you like when I ruffle feathers, lean in, okay? Here's what I mean by that. There are times over the course of just time, right? Where something gets connected to the gospel that doesn't belong or to the church that doesn't belong or to following Jesus that doesn't belong. I'll give you a couple of examples, right? A, a works-based faith is not the gospel. 
So if we think that the way that we earn our way into heaven is by all the good things we do and the way we look and all of that stuff, it's not the way we get in, right? We get, in, we get into eternity with Jesus by grace and grace alone through his blood. That's how we get there, right? So nothing I can do is going to get me there. But that's something that people struggle with. I'll give you another example. The prosperity gospel is a reality that people believe in, right? And we believe if we do follow Jesus, if we do decide to be engaged in church experience, what's that going to mean for my life? It's going to mean that I'm more successful and I make more money and my relationships are better. And like some of those things, yeah, I believe being a follower of Jesus is going to make your relationships better. Do I think it's going to make you more money? No. Do I think you're going to get all the dreams of your life just because you follow Jesus? No. But some people peddle that, right? Some people make it feel that way. Some people want you to feel good about that because they want you to follow and they want it to be this perfect place. It's not the reality. Sometimes following Jesus is going to make your life harder than easier. It just is. Here's the, here's the last one I would say. One of the things that's a major issue when we look at the foundation that is being built on people my age, people younger than me, our kids, and when they look at Christianity they say, and they see it as a problem and it's built into some of the foundation of what people are talking about in our country related to Christianity is Christian nationalism. Who we vote for does not dictate whether we're a good Christian or not. And when we marry those two things, that means that we are elevating and using Jesus as the foundation, as the platform, to be able to elevate our ideologies. Now, if you know me, okay, cards on the table, I'm a very conservative person, okay? But here's the thing. People look at that and they go, If I have to look like that person or that church or that place, I'm not going to follow Jesus. And I want this to be a place where people can walk in and and, and I'm not going to take attendance and be like, who do you vote for? But like people that come in and vote for different sides can come in and worship and follow Jesus together in harmony with one another. That's what I want. Because we can learn from one another. And Jesus isn't on either side. Following Jesus means following Jesus. And you follow your own convictions on who, what that means. But when we add this political idea and use Jesus as a foundation for it, it is destroying the faith of the younger generation. And we need to be super careful about that. And it's prevalent and, and all over in Christian culture today. And we need to be able to be a place that different people come together and follow Jesus together. And we be the church together. And we be the temple together. Because when we're not, we don't reflect Jesus. Jesus went after the people that didn't want to be together. Nobody wanted to be around tax collectors. Jesus said, come on. Some people didn't want to be around religious zealots. He said, come on. People didn't want to be around poor people. He said, come on. People didn't want to be around lepers. He said, come on, right? All those different people put together. That's who we're to be as a church. And we need to be super, super careful about the stuff that we're building on the foundation to make sure it's the right stuff so that when we hand that faith down to that person, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, or just someone we know that we tell about Jesus, that it is the stuff that Paul says is going to last for eternity. We don't want to be that person that said they were saved, but it was like they were getting through a wall of flames. We don't want to be that person. I want us to be the place that someone looks at us, like later, way down the road, right? And they go, 
your kids are invested in being here because of the faith they saw in your church. Like when our kids and the people that know us go to another church and they grow up and they get to invest and they go, it's because of what I saw in the people at GFC. And now they're a valuable asset and a committed partner at that church later when they're older. That's what I want. That's when we know that foundation we built in them survived the flames. And they were able to build the kingdom because of the foundation we gave to them. I'm going to keep saying we establish people on the foundation of Jesus until you are sick of it. Okay? I'm going to say it over and over and over again because it's what we're going to do. But we need you guys to be committed partners in that ministry as well. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for um, Paul's words and the warning that he gives as we are people who are invested in building on your foundation. And we recognize that that is a big deal. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that we can just gloss over. And what we hand to the next generation of followers of Jesus is massively important. And we ask that you would refine the materials that we are building so that they 100% reflect you and not reflect us and what we want to define as success at all. But that we would be committed to teaching others how to fulfill the purpose you have given them. I pray for the faith of those of us who are in the room, those who are listening, who are watching, like that we would have that anchor point, that we would have that space where we can go, this is where I run back to when I don't understand but I know that my faith is grounded on that foundation. I pray that if there are things in our faith journey that we have to refine, we have to burn away and build the right stuff, that you would give us that opportunity to do that, that we would not build our foundation on anything else, but that we would lock in to where you would want us to be. And God, I pray that you bring that anchor point to our mind even now, that we would have that space that we come back to. And ultimately, I pray, that the people we influence, we hand faith to, would continue to build the kingdom for generations and generations. In Jesus' name.